This is Think Smart with TMFG, your weekly podcast of what's newsworthy and relevant to everyday Canadians. With your host, Senior Financial Advisor Rob McClelland and Mike Conan of Asante Capital Management. Today on Think Smart with TMFG, Mike and I will be discussing how to simplify your financial life. Mike, you came up with a great title for a podcast, and it was called, How Many Accounts Do You Really Need? So tell me what some of your thinking was on this. Let's start with basic accounts. Let's start with the simple bank account. How many bank accounts do you need? Well, if you go back to the old days, people used to have many bank accounts. They used to have their checking account, their savings account, their super whatever savings account, whatever they would call. They'd all have different interest rates attached to them. Um, in the recent years, you know, it's funny. Uh, we're almost getting back to a little bit of the old time because previously savings accounts used to pay 5 or 6% back in the 80s. And then you'd have your checking account, which was just meant for writing checks, which wouldn't pay any interest. So there's a big difference in having these different types of accounts. But lately things have uh, come down with banks where you don't get that much of a premium for uh, the savings account. Although with interest rates, as they've changed around in the last uh, year or so, we're beginning to see a bit of a premium on the savings accounts. So really in a bank, you really only need two accounts. You need an active account, which we'll call the checking account. And then you need a savings account, let's say a high interest type of savings account to keep your emergency money. So that's two banks, one institution, but why not have three or four different institutions? Because we see lots of clients with multiple institutions. They'll have money at Scotiabank, Bank of Montreal, and RBC. I'm lost at that one. <laughs> you know, the Canadian banking system is very safe. You can feel pretty secure keeping, you shouldn't be keeping over $100,000 in your savings accounts anyway. So you shouldn't really go over the CDIC limits with any bank. So I don't see any need for multiple uh, banks. Sometimes if people have a business, they may have a, they may have a special need for using a, a bank because it uh, has better, let's say, uh, a better system to match with their corporate needs. But for your regular person, I don't see a need for more than one bank. It's interesting if I use my personal situation at home. I have a we have a bank of or sorry a bank of Nova Scotia account. That is our joint account, and it is also my account. But it's our joint account. Ingrid and I both have complete access to it, and it's where all of our bills come out of. She also has her own personal account. No real bills ever come out of it. I put some money into it. The odd time I take some money out of it. But that's it. That's it in terms of personal bank accounts. We have, with Bank of Montreal, we have a corporate account and we have some corporate accounts at TD as well. But that's for our insurance division and a few other things. But I see lots of individuals with not only multiple accounts at each institutions, but multiple institutions and yet they don't own a business or anything else. I have no need. What about credit cards? Is that different? How many credit cards do you think you should have? How many credit cards do you get offered every time you go out shopping on a Sunday? <laughs> a lot of credit cards. You could have a lot of credit cards. You go to Canadian Tire, they want to sell you a credit card. You go to Home Depot, you want a credit card. You go to the Bay, you want a credit card. You could, you could apply for credit cards all day and have a wallet that was just full of 100 credit cards. The only problem with that is, A, just to keep... In, in touch of whether they're, the cards are new and relevant and what's the balance on it. Um, is the card expired or not expired? 
I, I do believe you probably should have two credit cards. You need a backup. the odd time, your card doesn't work. Yep. Right? And it's sometimes just bad luck. Sometimes you put a payment in and you paid it on the wrong day or whatever. Sometimes you don't have access to your money with a credit card. So you don't want the embarrassment of going to pay for something and, and it won't go through. So it's always good to have a backup. And there's some weird things too, like Costco doesn't take Visa, which is absurd, but... Costco it, doesn't take Visa. Costco doesn't take American Express, and yet yeah. they used to be the home for American Express. Yeah, and Amex is such an odd card. Amex is nice and has some good benefits to it, but the problem with Amex is very limited in who will take Amex. A lot of times you go and you they, they won't accept Amex. So, I mean, credit cards, you have your three main credit cards. You have your Visa, your MasterCard, and your Amex. I think if you have those three in your wallet, you don't really need much else, do you? I even think three is a lot. I think if you you just had your MasterCard or Visa and your American Express, now it sounds like we're doing a commercial for American Express. We just, I find their travel benefits are second to none. Now, uh, others will tell me it's, you know, Royal Bank and the, the Aeroplan or whatever it's called card, the Air Miles card, or what is it called? The RBC? Aeroplan. Is it Aeroplan card? I think so, yeah. Yeah, or Air Miles. Anyways, yeah. regardless... A couple of credit cards is probably more than enough for most people. If you've got five or six credit cards, it's time to shut some of those down. Do you think Amex is going to sponsor a podcast? Uh, that, would, that would be nice. <laughs> Although I don't think our clients would appreciate, uh, our listeners would appreciate having an American Express commercial in the middle of our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll avoid that. What about investment accounts? So this is more up our alley. This is our specialty. How many different RSP accounts should you have, Mike? Oh, you should have a, a, well, I mean, you should really just have uh, one basic RSP. But again, there's some needs for other types of RSPs. You can have a Spelzo RSP. Okay. Which so is- That's when, two. I'm allowing so, two. So that's two. And you might have a locked-in plan. Okay. So you're kind of forced to have the locked-in because it came from a you. pension plan. But what about if I had three different RSP accounts? I've got an RSP account at Asante and maybe had another one at Bank of Montreal and another one at some investment- company down in Toronto. You've added a complexity to your situation with no advantage, which doesn't make any sense. Like whenever you add any type of complexity to your situation, there should be some financial advantage or some reason to be doing it. If you have complexities without any advantage to it, it doesn't make sense. As you get older and it comes time, especially with an RSP account, and you're going to convert that RSP to a RIF account, Imagine if you had three RSPs and now you're going to have three RIFs. You're going to be getting money from three different sources. Now, that may sound very attractive, but wouldn't you rather just get all your money from one source so it's so much easier to keep track of? And we've went through this too from a tax planning point of view. Sometimes you're trying to control your RIF income to maximize your tax bracket. When you have different RIF payments coming from three different individuals, trying to figure out what your, how much total income you're going to get in a year, much easier when you have everything consolidated in one area it's going to have one payment and you can decide how much tax to have deducted at source from that. Much more controlled and much more easy to manage. What about tax-free savings account, TFSAs? How many accounts should you have? Good to have multiple? No, absolutely. We've had nightmares with people open up multiple. They can't remember where they've done their, their contributions. Uh, all of a sudden, they go to a bank teller. The bank teller say, oh, do you want to do your TFSA contribution? Oh, yeah, sure. Move $2,000 in there. 
and they forget when they come in to, we, we say, we want to max your TFSA. Okay, put the 6,500 in. All of a sudden we get a note from the government saying- You're yeah. $2,000 over and, and there's a fine of $240 yep. for the 12 months that you were $2,000 over. What about RESPs? RESPs, again, one is very much more, so we've seen multiple RESPs, a nightmare to try to get the money out, figure who's paid the grant, where it's coming from. You're best off just running one RESP. Open accounts, similar thing. What You, you, you might have an open joint account with your spouse, but other than that, you probably have one open account, one joint open account. That's it. If you've got more, you've added complexity that isn't helping you out. You think you're diversifying, you're complicating. And so many people have open accounts that aren't joint with their spouse. And not for any reason, it's just laziness. When they open it, their spouse wasn't there. And they have this they have this money and you said, is there a reason for you to have this open account just in your name? No, no, I just opened it at the bank account. And it doesn't make any sense. It just adds complexity to your state. It's gonna add complexity to your wife if anything happens to you. And there's no reason for it. So let's talk about inside those accounts. And we'll stick with the investment accounts, whether it's an RSP, a RIF, TFSA, Lira, whatever it is. When I got into the industry at the time, I decided I wasn't going to be a stock picker. I saw no evidence that that worked out. And so I, I became a mutual fund picker. I would pick which mutual funds that I would put in my portfolio. And even in my own portfolio, I would have 12 to 15 different mutual funds, all doing different things, all from different managers. And I thought I was extremely diversified and extremely smart. Looked impressive from a distance, didn't it? It did. It did. It looked like we were doing a lot of work to create excitement for our clients and, and lots of diversification to improve returns. But if any day I asked you what your asset allocation is, <laughs> could you ever tell me? No, I had no idea what one manager was doing and what one wasn't doing. And often they were doing the same things at the same time, which wasn't what I wanted them to do. I wanted them to be doing different things at different times. Yeah. And, and today I have 95% of my, my own wealth in one fund. And it's a fund that I would say 95% of our clients have in their portfolio. Yeah. You need to be in a global balanced fund. You know, the, the fund we use has 12,000 different holdings inside it, which are between all the different countries in the world, as diversified as you can possibly get. And again, it looks fancy when you throw all these different funds in and you want to throw different stocks in your portfolio. But every time you put a stock in your portfolio, something outside that globally diversified portfolio, again, you've added an element of risk to your portfolio with no expected extra rate of return. And that's a hard thing to get your mind around because everyone thinks, well, if I buy a bank share and throw it in there, I went, I'm going to increase my rate of return. Well, no, you're, you're not. You've, you've, you've already got the bank share in the portfolio and all you've done is increase your risk. You've increased a position. There's a reason why it represented X percent of your portfolio. And you've just went against that because you went and overexposed yourself to that bank or whatever stock it is, you've created a, a heavier exposure than you need in that portfolio. So let's take an example. Let's say you had a million dollars in a globally diversified portfolio. And inside that portfolio, you own some shares of Silicon Valley Bank, the bank that just went bankrupt in the US. And now you've decided, you know, a year ago, oh, this bank seems to be doing very well. They're making good profits. 
I'd like Rob to take a hundred thousand of my doll of my million dollars and put it in Silicon Valley Bank. You think, well, I'm still all in equities. I'm still diversified. It's a bank. What could go wrong? What could go? It's a bank and it's yep. making money. And suddenly that hundred thousand dollars is worth zero. You think you've diversified. You haven't. You've made your portfolio and your life more complicated and you didn't need to do it. And you've increased your risk. And it's hard to make up for big losses. When you have losses like that, people think, well, it's only 10%. If you lose 10%, it's a lot of work to make back that extra 10%. You know, we talk about equity premium. It's it's not a lot. So if you all of a sudden lost 10%, you have to, for 10 years, outperform the market by 1%. That's a... Any manager would be thrilled to outperform the market by 1% a year. You'd have to have 10% outperformance for 10, 1% for 10 years to make up for that loss. It's a lot of work. So I'll give you a great example of that with a client that I met with recently. And go 10 years ago, and he would have had close to a million dollars in his portfolio. And at the time, he wanted to take roughly 10% of his portfolio and put it into one company. And initially that company did very well, that 100,000 that he invested in, it went up to 150,000. And he looked brilliant. Today, that 100,000 is worth zero. The company is bankrupt. He still owns all the shares that he owned. And his portfolio is now worth $2 million. And so that looks pretty good. The reality is his portfolio should be worth $2.2 million. It's not that he just lost the $100,000 in 10 years. He lost the growth on that $100,000 in 10 years, which is another $100,000. So, and when I look at his return over 10 years, it's much lower than anyone else with the exact same portfolio, except for that one stock, which messed everything up. So be very careful when you undiversify a portfolio. It can cost you a lot of money, even with fifty thousand or a hundred thousand dollars. It can make a big difference in your returns over time. You got to remember that if you have a globally a, a global balanced portfolio, it's already fully diversified. By adding something extra, you haven't increased the diversification. As you said, you've undiversified it because it used to be equally balanced. Once you've done that, you're no longer diversifying your portfolio anymore. You're creating a call, and a call can go wrong. If you like what you heard today please feel free to share this podcast with friends or family members who may find it of interest. That brings us to the end of another week. Thank you for joining us. If you're looking for a financial advisor, visit our website at tmfg.ca or call us at 905-771-5200. This episode has been brought to you by the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management, reminding you to live the life that makes you happy. You've been listening to the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management Limited. Asante Capital Management Limited is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. Insurance products and services are provided through Asante Estate and Insurance Services Incorporated. This material is provided for general information and is subject to change without notice. Every effort has been made to compile this material from reliable sources. However, no warranty can be made as to its accuracy or completeness. 
Before acting on any of the previous information, please make sure to see a professional advisor for individual financial advice based on your personal circumstances. The opinions expressed are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Asante Capital Management Limited.